Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Wednesday, September 23rd of 2020. We'd like to welcome all our listeners that are tuning in from wherever you're at, whether it's your first, second, third time, whether someone told you about this podcast. Uh, These podcasts are mainly given... uh, Yes, to teach and and to give you information, but above all, it is to look at the Word of God from a prophetic lens. And that's what we've been doing. We've been studying the Word of God, and God has been taking us uh, to different places in the New and Old Testament uh, concerning the days that we are living and how to apply those things and how to see the parallels. And we've been so blessed. We've been here on a journey the last few days. We've been trying to to get the the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Eden to David's house. But in that process, uh, I believe the Lord has been showing us uh, a lot of things. And I think there's something today that he has for us today. I know he does. His word is always fresh. His manna is always fresh for God's people. So as we go in today to our word and the study, we're so glad to have in our panel Brother Marty and uh, Brother Fernando as we... Um, as always, it is a privilege and an honor to study the Word of God together with God's people. So, Brother Marty, let us get into our the, the study of the Word today as you share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. Uh, like you said, we've been trying to get the ark out of Obed-Edom's house, and I think today will will be the day. <laughs> so, so that's what we're going to look at. And uh, uh, we're going to look at some things today uh, as we turn our attention to Obed-Edom's house and uh, and what happened and and the progression that we see, and so uh, which brings it all the way to Jerusalem. So we're going to see some really key and, and really cool things there that that uh, that the Holy Spirit has has concealed in His Word, and uh, and yet uh, it is there to be seen uh, as the Spirit allows us to see them. So again, we want to begin with uh, with First Chronicles chapter thirteen, and we're going to uh, we're going to go through thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen today. Very quickly, we won't be reading extensive amounts of scripture, uh, you know, chapter by chapter. But we will be uh, highlighting particular verses, and we're going to see some uh, some prophetic types emerge in this what I call the prophecy of Obed-Edom, the prophecy of Obed-Edom, hidden within this story, is an incredible prophecy that the Lord reveals in the historical account of what actually happened as the ark makes its way to Jerusalem and uh, to its king, King David. So with that in mind, Brother Jeremy, in the name of our Lord Jesus, would you mind reading to us as we begin our study today? First Chronicles 13, verse 13 and 14, and, and we'll get started. Yeah. So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Praise God. So the, the ark remains in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and we're going to uh, look at that 
uh, briefly, but before we get into the three months and the significance of those three months, um, because they're they're very much a, a, an important key to, to seeing some pretty amazing things that the Lord is is uh, is revealing. And like we said uh, today, we're going to turn our attention to the prophetic types, which will be seen in the story here as we explore the things that King David did, uh, Obed-Edom, Obed-Edom's house, King Hiram, uh, the Levites and, and, and the sons of Aaron, the, the, and the procession that the ark ultimately makes back to uh, to Jerusalem, or actually <laughs> goes to Jerusalem. And so we want to start today, as we, we talked about yesterday, when, when David went to get the ark, it was it was in an attempt to, to establish uh, the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. He wanted to bring the ark to the capital city. And we saw, uh, uh, and we have seen as we've been uh, exploring these things, that when David attempted to do that, uh, we see that the ark uh, became a focal point of the judgment of God upon the house of Abinadab. And if you remember yesterday, uh, we talked a lot about how King David returned after that judgment, and he he goes back to Jerusalem, and and as the story is written in First Chronicles 14, it's very interesting there because uh, there's a list of, of 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 13 sons of David that are given there, and we we concluded our study yesterday. We encourage you to go listen to that and what David revealed, as Brother Fernando so aptly pointed out. You know, David was a prophet of God. He functioned as both prophet. Uh, as priest, as 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 prophet, and as king, uh, a type and a foreshadow of the great uh, Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our Lord and Savior. And when the very first two sons that David listed, uh, could you read that to us, brother Jeremy, in uh, verse four, just the, the first two? So verse uh, two and verse three of chapter fourteen. No, read the very first two sons. In uh, chapter 14, verse 4, what were their names? Verse 4, yes. Mm -hmm. They were Shamua and Shobab. Yes, and what we learned from that was King David was being taught by the Spirit of God, and and he he has subsequently is given a list of, of the sons here, as, it, as it's revealed to us by the Chronicler, a list is given. And in that list, we begin to see some quite amazing things that we discussed yesterday, but the very first two sons seem to be implying something very prophetic there, both in what happened when Uzzah died and the removing of the ark from the house of Abinadab. It was as if the Lord was giving King David understanding as to why that took place. And the very first son's name is Shamua, which which means uh, that which is renowned will become desolate. We liken that to being what happened to Abinadab's house. His house, uh, or Abinadab's name, means the house of nobility or noble. And we talked about um, that's where the ark was residing, in, in the noble house. But that house became desolate of the presence of God once it reached the threshing floor of Shidon, as we've talked about at length. 
in in First Chronicles 13, when when the ark came and in, uh, of the covenant being driven by the oxen and placed on the new cart, it came to the threshing floor, and there the ark uh, was shaken uh, as the oxen turned aside, and Uzzah puts his hand forth to try and steady the ark, and God judges him for it, and so. In essence, uh, David was revealing and naming his very first son that uh, that what he learned from that was that this renowned house of nobility, this house of, of Abinadab, uh, became desolate. And in the naming of his second son, like Brother Jeremy just read in First Chronicles 14, verse 4, the second son's name was Shobab. And that name means rebellious apostate and idolatrous so what we learn from that is what god was revealing to king david and and he named his sons that and it's interjected there by the holy spirit in the 14th chapter of chronicles in 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 the way that the holy spirit does what he does uh in 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 how he comprised the scripture so that we would learn something here just as what king david learned and that is what was being taught him by the Spirit of God in that particular case, was that that house of nobility, that house of renown, became desolate precisely because it had become a rebellious, apostate, and idolatrous uh, house. It represented what happened to the nation as a whole. We have to remember, like we were talking about yesterday, the ark belonged in the tabernacle of Moses which the Bible reveals as we've already studied. And that's why we always tell you guys, go back and listen to the other podcasts leading up to this. But <clears throat> the tabernacle of Moses was was deconstructed and, and moved uh, and ultimately made its way to Gibeon. Uh, and it, it happened when the ark was taken captive by the Philistines as the house of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas and really the whole nation, which had become idolatrous uh, under the leadership of that corrupt religious system of the house of Eli, that they suffered a great defeat. And in that defeat, the, the ark was taken captive by the Philistines. The place of where Moses' tabernacle had been set up, Shiloh, uh, the actual temple compound that was built up around the tabernacle of Moses, which was pitched there by Joshua, many, many years before, about 360 years before, the priest seemed to have been able to take the tabernacle of Moses, but the actual structure that had been built around it in Shiloh was destroyed. And the tabernacle of Moses came into Gibeon. And so we have a separation of the ark way back when, about 70 years before, uh, where the tabernacle gets established eventually in Gibeon, but the ark itself comes to rest in the house of nobility. That is in uh, amongst the house of Abinadab, which was located in Kirjath-Jerim. And so the ark was separated from that place. And, and that's why uh, I believe one of the things that the Lord was showing David was that, was that the presence of God had been removed uh, and, and it was completely out of order. And when David tried to bring uh, the ark to Jerusalem and establish it there in his capital city, it, God was going to have none of it. He was removing it, and he was he was really beginning to unfold a different 
and more perfect revelation of how his presence was to be handled. And so that's just kind of a brief overview. But in the naming of the two sons, David is revealing why this and what was actually happening. It was far more than Uzzah just putting his hand to the ark. It was, it was, it was representative of the fact that the entire system had become desolate as a result of its idolatrous behavior and its rebellion. So what do we see there? Because we want to look at, we're calling this the prophecy of Obed-Edom, because remember, what ended up happening at that point, as, as we let off the study today, is that when Uzzah, Ahio, and the house of Abinadab were judged, and the ark was taken from them, David uh, does something in, in verse 13. Can you read what he did? Go to Jeremy in verse 13, chapter 13 of First Chronicles. Yes. Says, so David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Gittite. So here we have, now we're going to begin looking at the prophetic types here in the historical narrative. Remember, the Bible uh, teaches us that the things that happened to Israel are instructive to us. They're meant to be prophecies, prophetic insights to us as to what would happen to to, the, to those uh, upon whom the ends of the world is coming, as, as the Apostle Paul said. And so looking at it from that perspective, we have to understand what was being revealed here. and What's actually being seen here is a prophecy. As we've said many, many times in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, the testimony of Jesus. And that's what we have to look at whenever we look at Scripture. Where do we see Jesus? And if we can't see Jesus in it, then our interpretation isn't correct. Now, so we approach it from that lens, the prophetic lens, as revealed by the Apostle Paul and as revealed by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here's where we begin to see some pretty extraordinary things and this is what we will do if the Holy Spirit can open our eyes. Now listen, what do we see there for? We see that, that David's desire to bring the ark uh, to, to Jerusalem was delayed. And we see instead of bringing the ark to the capital city of Jerusalem, which by the, by the way, I'll just throw it out there real quick. Jerusalem in, in this sense, in a prophetic type, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. It is the place that God has chosen to put his name. And so be, bear that in mind as we go forth. So in, in that context, what we see then is that the, the, the ark coming to Jerusalem or the presence of God reuniting with the capital city or being brought to Jerusalem is delayed. And David being a type of Christ, like we've talked about before, the very gospel of St. Matthew begins, Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. So David is a type of Christ. And so what we see is that he is delayed in culminating the presence of God in bringing it to Jerusalem. And, and how did that delay first begin? It begins with a judgment that falls upon uh, the house of Abinadab. And that judgment caused the ark to be taken from it. And what David does is he takes the ark and he brings it to Obed-Edom, the Gittite. 
So what do we see comparing Scripture with Scripture here? The first thing that we can see in the prophetic type is exactly what would happen to Israel in the far-flung future. You see, we know from history that it was in A.D. 70 <laughs> that, the, that the Lord himself had came and, and, uh, and that Israel itself would be destroyed for rejecting the Lord. A judgment would come upon the house of Israel just like it came upon the house of Abinadab, Uzzah, and, and Ahio that day, that would result in the removing of the presence of God from that house. It had become a house of desolation, just like David's son, Shamua, his name means desolate. And it became that way because it was rebellious, which is what he named his second son in First Chronicles 14, 3 and 4. So what we saw in A.D. 70 is a fulfillment of the type of what we see here in Uzzah being judged and the house of Abinadab being judged. Israel would be judged and the presence of God would be removed from the nation of Israel, so to speak, and brought to another house. That's exactly what King David did. He brought the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant of God. In, in verse 13 and 14, it says, So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David. Instead, he carries aside uh, the ark into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, Obed-Edom, scholars tell us, uh, was a Gentile. And he was of Gath-Rimon, which you can see uh, is a priestly city within the which is very interesting, by the way, within the territory of the tribe of Dan. And you can read about that in Joshua chapter 19, verse 45. And what we see then in the prophetic type of David taking the ark and bringing it to Obed-Edom's house, what scholars tell us about him is that he was quite possibly a Gentile who was adopted into the house of Levi. Somehow, some way, but that's why it, he's identified as being obed Edom, the Gittite. He's not of Gittite, which is another word for Gath, which is where the Philistines are. He's not of Gath. He 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 is part of Gath. He is the Gittite. And so this is this is why they call him a Gentile, and he is. His name actually means he's a servant of Edom. And we don't have time to get into all that, but what we're the point is is that there would be a destruction and a removing of the ark or the presence from those who had been taking care of it. That's exactly what happened to Israel. They were destroyed because of their rebellion. Their house was left to them desolate. But in David bringing the ark to Obed-Edom's house, we see what God was going to do. He was going to remove the presence of God from the Jewish nation as a result of its rebellion and its idolatry, and, and, and it would become a desolate house. But it would come for a season into the house or the caretaking of a Gentile family. So King David being a type of Christ, the presence of God goes to a Gentile adopted into the priestly territory of Levi at the time. It's a representative of the Jewish of the of the Gentile bride. And it's also representative of, of the prophecies later in the Bible that would speak about that the light of God would come to the Gentiles. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? In Isaiah 66, verse 19, there's a, there's a really neat prophecy there that Isaiah saw. Isaiah 66. And you guys just comment anytime you want. This is good. 
Yeah, it says, and I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, that draw the boat to Tubal and Javan, to the isles afar up, of up, that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Yeah, so we see here that there's a prophecy given here by Isaiah that his glory would come to the Gentiles, that, that his, his, his fame, those who had not heard of him, that, that his glory would come to them. Now take a look at this other scripture in, in Luke chapter 2. Can you read that to us? Luke chapter 2. <laughs> Luke chapter 2. Mm-hmm. This, is, uh, this is the account of Simeon in the temple. And read to us verse uh, 29 through 32. What does he say there? Lord, now let it thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Amen. So we we see here that that uh, that Simeon recognizes that that Jesus is going to be a light that lightens uh, the Gentiles. Now take a look at Isaiah forty forty nine six because I think that's what he was quoting. If I remember correctly. I'm just showing you some scriptures here. To follow the prophetic pattern. Forty nine six, I think it is. Let's see. Yeah. That's right. Yes. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Amen. So what we see here is is, pro- uh, is prophecy revealing something even more, and we see it in the story of Obadidu. The presence of the Lord was taken from the house, but, but the ultimate design for removing the presence of the Lord from, from Israel was to bring them back to God. It would go to the Gentiles. Just as David took the presence of God in delaying it, coming fully to Jerusalem because the two have to be brought together. And that's what Isaiah is revealing here. He says, is it a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob? He's actually, the Spirit of God is actually talking to the Lord Jesus Christ here. And he says that 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 Jesus's <clears throat> ultimate mission is to raise up the tribes of Jacob, right? Verse 6. And he says, also what? To restore the preserved of Israel. God has chosen and selected his people that, that shall be saved out of Israel. There will be. We even see that in the book of Revelation, don't we? I think it's uh, chapter 7 and chapter 14, where in type, uh, you know, I'm not sure if the, if, uh, where it talks about the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm not sure if that's a literal number or a symbolic number, but either way, 12 is the number of government, right? So uh, we, we, we don't have time to get into all that. But the point of the matter is, is that God has selected those that he, he knows of his own people that he will preserve and, 
and bring into the community of the church. He uses the language here in Isaiah 46, I mean, 49, 6, he calls it restoring them, which indicates that they've, they, they went from one position to a position of, of being desolate to, to in the end of time, they will be restored. And he calls them the preserved of Israel. And he said he's going to do this by Christ. And in verse 6 of 49, 6 of Isaiah, he says that, that the light would go to the Gentiles so that he, that is the Lord Jesus, may be his salvation to the entire world. That's what we see. That's the prophetic type that we see here. The light represented by the Ark of the Covenant comes to the house of a Gentile. David takes it there. Jesus brought his presence, if you will, to the rest of the world. And, and the original house that had been taking care of it became judged desolate precisely because of its re rebellion and its rejection of how to handle the presence of God the right way. It didn't want to handle the ark in the prescribed manner. The prescribed manner of handling the ark we, we've seen in Numbers chapter 4 was to remove it and to cover it. Uh, with skin and then a blue cloth, right, and the veil of the temple, all of it very symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and they didn't want to handle it like that. It is as if Israel and he and they did reject the Lord and and His presence, and they didn't they didn't want to handle God in the way that He revealed Himself to them. And the result of that in A.D. 70 was the destruction and desolation of that house. That's what happened. And we see that in this story here is the prophecy of Obed-Edom. Because rather than then just taking the ark himself and trying to figure out another way, he takes it aside, King David, that is, and brings it into the house of Obed-Edom, the house of a Gentile. And that's what happened. The light came to the Gentiles. And we were just reading that, that, that Isaiah prophesies that years later, and then Simeon affirms it in the temple when he's holding the baby Jesus. Now, another thing that we wanted to talk about and we see is that where this servant is located, this Obed-Edom, this Gentile adopted into the house of a Levite. And, I, and we, we ain't got time on this podcast to go through all these documents, but you do your own research and you'll see that's exactly uh, what happened. And there's debate amongst the scholars, but if we're taking the prophetic uh, you know, unfolding of Christ in these scriptures, um, there's a very, very good case to be made um, for Obed-Edom being a Gentile, which I believe he is. And uh, <clears throat> and so we see the presence coming to the house of a Gentile, and it stays there. And and the Bible tells us that it stayed there for how many months, Jeremy, does it say? Do you remember? Three months. Three months. Three months. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very interesting thing that we're going to look at, and and we're going to, to look at that in, in a few seconds here, but I wanted to just lay that groundwork. So what are we seeing in this prophecy? Again, the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, we see that the house that had had been holding the ark was judged, and and a death and a destruction came to it. That's exactly what happens. It's a foreshadow of what would happen in A.D. 70 where the ark uh, was taken from Israel. And it, it suffered desolation. The Romans came and destroyed destroyed their, their, their house, the city, and everything. And, and, and they were no more. The presence was taken from them. From that point, the, the, the presence or the light of God goes to the Gentile world. 
if you remember the story in the book of Acts when Paul was trying to minister to the Jews and he finally got frustrated and said, you know what, I'm just your house is left to you desolate. I'm going to the Gentiles. Jesus said the same thing, you know, that that in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 38, 39, somewhere in there, he said, uh, your house is left to you desolate, right? And you will not see me here again until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So we see that King David leaves the ark there with Obed-Edom for three months. Now let's look at the next type. Because now remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about prophecies, hidden prophecies in the stories. The next thing that happens after the ark is left in the care of a, of a Gentile who lives in the city of Gath Ramon, and we talked about the meaning of that name, right? It's the place of the wine vat where the wine is collected and it's the place of the pomegranate. And we talked about the collection of the wine representing spirit, the Holy Spirit, the wine of the spirit. And the pomegranate, which contains 613 seeds, the rabbis tell us represents the Torah or the word of God. Because written within uh, Genesis to Deuteronomy, there are 613 laws, the complete and full law. Uh, of the Lord revealed there, and 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 that's why they liken it to the pomegranate. Which, by the way, uh, there were little pomegranates sewn into the bottom of the high priest's garment. Remember pomegranates and bells, the spirit and the word. That's for another day. But it comes to rest in the hand of of the wine representing spirit, and and the pomegranate representing the word or truth. So what we were being told here is that. One house would be rejected, and the light would come to a Gentile house, but a particular house, the house that worships God in spirit and in truth. That's what's being concealed here and revealed in the light of Christ. Now, let's just remember that. And it stays there for three months. Remind me of the three months if I forget to tell you. But the next thing that goes from that point on is that King David leaves, right? He leaves. And what does he go back? He goes back to Jerusalem, right? It's really a type of our Lord leaving and going back to his heavenly city. He leaves Israel judged. His light or the uh, the ark is remaining in the house of Obed-Edom. Everything's being blessed. Something really cool is revealed here because because what ends up happening in chapter 14 is the next progression, the next type. Let's take a look at it. Consider this. Uh, will you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, in verse 1? What happened? Yes. Now, <clears throat> Hiram, king of Tyree, sent messengers to David and timber of cedars with masons and carpenters to build him a house. All right. <clears throat> so if we can see it, what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us in this next prophetic type, we see the house judged. The presence removed. That's a type of Israel being judged and the presence being removed from them for a season, right? Like you pointed out a few podcasts before, the, the really cool thing uh, the Lord showed you, Brother Jeremy, was three months equals a season, right? Uh, and, and so it's for a season the ark is taken from Israel. For all of you who don't think Israel has a destiny, you just don't know your Bible. But for a season it was removed. It was brought into the house of a Gentile where where that house would be blessed. He lives in the city of Gath-Ramon, which means they represent the people of, of the spirit and the word, or spirit and truth. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's where his presence remains. 
David then goes away and returns to Jerusalem, just like Jesus goes away and returns to his heavenly Jerusalem to be with his father. Yet the ark is still resting in the house of Obed-Edom for this three-month period. The next thing we see is, is a really cool revelation which Brother Jeremy just read, because it goes on to tell us exactly what was going to happen. It says that Hiram, the king of Tyre, this is a Gentile king now. He sends messengers to David with timbers of cedars, with masons and carpenters to do what? What does he do, Brother Jeremy? To build uh, him a house. To build David a house. Now, <laughs> what this represents to us and what this is revealing to us is exactly what would happen. It would be the Gentiles, represented by the king, uh, king of Tyre, right, Hiram? who recognize the authority and the kingship of King David. It's the same thing that happened. The Gentiles recognize the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for the last 2,000 years before the Jews do. You know, the Jews still reject their Messiah. And there, there are those that are being saved now, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, they still reject him. It's the Gentiles who, who, who embrace the Lord. Just like this king, uh, representing the Gentile nations of the world, embraced King David. And then what does he do? He, he builds him a house. And what the Lord was revealing there is that the Gentiles would recognize the king, uh, David, as the king of Israel, and the Gentiles would build David a house. This is the Gentile church. This is the Gentile church. And what was being revealed here is that the Gentile church was going to be the one that builds the house for David or that would build the house of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what we're saying? Any thoughts? Absolutely. <laughs> Praise God. Now, now, there's something even more profound here revealed in this 14th chapter. And we're talking at a little bit more advanced prophetic studies here, but I hope that you'll take time to take some notes and really go through these things. I'll give you a for instance. Whenever you read the book of Revelation, what you'll see in the unfolding of those prophetic scriptures is, is God many times when he reveals his word, he will, he will, he will give you a, a, a point of view that deals with specifics. And then it's like the very next chapter, he goes to an overall big picture. And then he returns back to deal with a particular thing that he wants us to pay attention to. It's as, so it's as if he expands the view of all things, and then after giving us the big view, he then returns to pretty much explain how the big view is going to come to pass or additional information. Uh, you know what I'm saying, brothers? I mean, do you, do you see it that way? When you yes. study the book of Revelation, right? Don't you see big pictures and then it comes back to small pictures? Yeah, it, that, that's exactly what it is. Um you know, it, it, it expands on it, right? Where where it gets to Revelation 6, you see the seals, but then it, yeah. it almost does like commentaries on what you just seen as it goes along. Like It's like uh, a commentary, right? And expanding yeah. more on, on the vision um, and, and so forth and so on. And, and that's what you see uh, as, as you go deeper into the book of Revelation. It's a back and forth uh, yeah. uh, situation that's going forth. Um, but at the same time, he's also uh, seeing things from two different dimensions. He's seeing things in heaven, and he's also seeing what he saw in heaven transpire on earth. So yeah. he, 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 he has to speak in that way 
um, to to bring us there, to take us there. So yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Yeah, that's really good. That's exactly right. I like the way you said that. It's like an overall view in one chapter, and then the next chapter is more like a, a commentary on that, right? <laughs> is that how you Correct. said it? Yeah, yes. that's really good. Yeah, I like that. So that's what we're going to see here in Chapter 14. It's an overall view, and it's really amazing how it's written because when you what, what begins to happen here is, is it's written in a prophetic way with the long overview. It's like we go into this long overview. If you're comparing it with Scripture, you know, if you're comparing it with prophetic Scripture, you'll see the pattern. It's quite amazing. And we're going to look at that it's, right now. And it's kind of like this, Brother Marty. Uh, prophecy is a preview. It gives you a preview. Then a review and an overview. Right? Yeah. Like, it, it, yeah. Right? It, that, that's, that's how we understand prophecy. Uh, it'll give yeah. you a preview of what's to come, then it'll review it, and then it'll give you an overview of, yeah. of the bigger picture. Very good. I like that. And think about this, too, because what we know, as they say, that, that like Paul said it, right? He said that there was a veil over Moses, which is the Old Testament, so to speak, but that the veil is taken away in Christ. So like the old timers used to say it, it, it was that, that the New Testament uh, is the, uh, it, well, how do they say it? The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so when we apply Christ to it, the veil of it or the mystery of it is taken away. And we see Jesus and all that pertains to him in these stories. That is why we come to verse chapter 14 and we believe that what we're seeing here is a is a prophetic way of communicating what brother fernando was saying the 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 the, the preview of the large picture and let's take a look at that because what what we're left with again is the removing of the presence of god and the giving of it to another house obedidum's house the gittite the gentile it's there for a season three months but there's a particular reason why it abides there for three months, and I'll just throw that out there. It's not a full 90 days that we're talking about here. Uh, if you actually look at what those three months are uh, and, and, and their definition, you have to understand it from the Jewish mindset because there's something very profoundly uh, hinted at there in the three-month cycle. A month, as is defined by the Hebrews or the Jews, uh, is determined by lunar cycles, not solar cycles. And there were particular things that, that were identified. So it could be a part of three months, but it's it's reckoned as three months as it pertains to the lunar cycle. So a month is reckoned and, and notified or uh, to the priest by how, uh, when they first see the moon appear in the sky. And just remember that because it's a three-month period or a cycle of three lunar cycles, which is actually a foreshadow and a prophecy of what was yet to come. And it has its connection with the actual deliverance of the prophetic type of the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt by the Lord and their, and their ultimate meeting with him at Mount Sinai. But we'll talk about that in a second. So what do we see here? We now go into the long overview of chapter 14. What's, what, what starts off with is that a house is being built. 
But it's not being built by the Jews for David. It's being built by the Gentiles. And so what was being revealed here was that Uzzah, who was judged in the house of Abinadab, was, was judged, like we've already said. That was a foreshadow and a picture of Israel being judged in the future and that the presence would be removed from her from, for a season. It would come to rest in the, in the hands of, of, the, of those who worship God in spirit and in truth, a Gentile house. And, and then from there, we go into chapter 14, and it's revealed that, that the kingship of David is reckon, recognized by another king, a Gentile king. Why is that significant? Because the way that, th- the way that things that, uh, work in, in, in God's economy, you have to have an equal, so to speak, uh, recognize an equal for it to be valid. And what I mean by that is a king had to recognize a king. It couldn't just be someone like you and me, right? I mean, it had to be a king. So it's very profound how the Holy Spirit has it here in noting that Hiram was the king, the most prosperous king uh, of that region at the time. And he recognizes the legitimacy of David as, as the true sovereign king over Israel. And, and, it, and it's, it's very much uh, a way of saying what would be said in the future, which is that the Gentile nations, uh, the Gentile people would recognize Jesus Christ as king. We see that happen even before the Jews, right? It's the same thing that's fulfilled in, uh, in when Jesus was born, right? And then about a year and a half later, the kingmakers come into, into Israel, the wise men, and they recognize his authority. They, they actually tell the nation of the Jews, Herod and the, all the Pharisees, remember? They told him, where is the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. So he was recognized by the Gentiles in many ways before he was recognized by his own people at that, at that level, at the very high level. And so what's being revealed is while the presence is abiding in the house of Obed-Edom, a type of the church, we see the, the, the recognition of, of the authority by, uh, by the Gentile nations of the world represented by Tyre. And, and it would be the Gentiles who build him a house. That's what we see in, in chapter 14, verse 1. And it's at that moment that we see that David perceives the Lord had made him king over Israel, for his kingdom was lifted up on high. That's what happened to Jesus. His kingdom reached all the way into the very heavenly Jerusalem itself. And, and it, it's, a, it, its ultimate result is because of his people. Remember what we read in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 right now. The ultimate reason that the light goes to the Gentiles as, and the gospel to the ends of the earth is to, is to ultimately conclude with the restoration of Israel and the preserved, uh, the, the restoration of, of Jacob and the preserved of Israel. We see all that right here. Then something very interesting happens here in chapter 14, and I hope I'm not losing you all, but... He then, the Holy Spirit then has the person, the chronicler recording these events. He does something really interesting. He, he inserts uh, the, the names, 13 particular names. David had more, more uh, sons than this, but these 13 particular names are now inserted right here. And what we're beginning to see now is what Brother Fernando was talking about. The overview now seems to be entering in into the way the Holy Spirit had this written. Next, we see that that the sons of David are recorded by the Holy Spirit. And really what begins to happen, as we looked at yesterday, is the unfolding and the telling of the gospel story all the way to the end. 
with the book of Revelation. Like we talked about yesterday, let me just go back here in my notes and go through this real quick. The first son, he, he's called renowned. And, and the root word also contains with it, uh, the renowned will become desolate. That's Israel. She becomes desolate because of Shobab. That's the next son that he lists, whose name means rebellious, apostate, idolatrous. After that, uh, David names his next son, next two sons, Nathan and Solomon, which means uh, the giver of peace. And then we come to uh, Ibhar, which means that Jehovah chooses. So what was being said here was that a renowned house was going to be rejected, become desolate because of its rebellion and idolatry. But it would be God himself who would give peace, Nathan and Solomon. How that was going to happen and, and by whom David names the next son, Ibhar, which means Jehovah chooses. So literally he was saying God's going to choose the one that brings peace and, 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 and brings uh, <laughs> uh, salvation and peace, which is why he goes next and calls his next son Elishua, which means my God is my salvation. David actually saw the Lord Jesus. And then we have his next son named El Palet, which means my God of deliverance. So he's not only going to be my salvation, he's going to be someone that God chooses. He's going to be the God of my salvation, and he's going to be my deliverer. But who is this one? His name is Noga, right? Brightness. And and this brightness gives way to the next boy whose name was uh, Nefeg, Will Sprout. That's what his name means, Will Sprout. So he's literally saying, Jehovah's going to choose somebody who's going to become my salvation and deliverer. He is the brightness of heaven. He is going to sprout. He's going to be born and and shine forth to be the light. That's what the name Japhia means, the next son. From Japhia, this one who shines forth to be the light, we are now left with the final three sons. And really what we have seen in the naming of David's sons in the overview, as Brother Fernando said, is an interjection by the Spirit of God in how he had the chronicler recorded of, of what is what is so fascinating as we get into this, we're going to see that <laughs> that it basically unveils the entirety of the book of Revelation and what it predicts is going to happen in the end. And that's why I think he waited for uh, to name or the way he recorded the last three names: Elishama, Diliada, and Eliphalet. Those names mean the Almighty has heard, the Almighty knows. The Almighty will become my God of, of deliverance, Eliphalet, and he is the mighty God, and he will carry us away. Those are the names of David's sons. Incredible. Because it's the, it's the gospel unfolded. Now listen, he, in the naming of those final three sons, we see something very profound. And I was, I was, I was really... I've been studying this for quite some time, but I feel like it's time to bring these up. So the way they're recorded, the last three sons are revealing something. Notice what happens here in verse 7. David names the last three sons, and then we're told in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 14 something. What is that, Brother Jeremy? Could you read that to us? Yes. And when the Philistines heard, that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David, and David heard of it and went out against him. And the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. In the valley of the giants, right? 
It's, that's pretty incredible. We ain't got time to get into that. But that reference to the Rephaim is, is, is that old, uh, you know, those old stories of lore, right? Uh, of the Rephaim were the giants or the, or the ones of big stature, quite possibly uh, a, a result of, of the fallen angels and the, uh, the women uh, mating with those fallen angels in some way, somehow. I don't know how that happened. That's what the Bible seems to imply. But here we have that old, ancient rebellion referenced here. And what's interesting is verse 8 says, and we're looking at prophetic types now. Remember, the ark's still over there uh, in Obed-Edom. It's the Gentiles building a house, right? David's at his capital city in Jerusalem. And then uh, this list of sons, which seems to be revealing the entirety of the gospel, unfolded from the rejection of Israel, the presence going uh, out, peace coming. Uh, you know, uh, someone that the father is going to choose. He's called brightness. He he's going to sprout, right? He's going to be born, and he's going to be known as the light. <laughs> so, so that's what we see happening here. But then he interjects those three sons in verse seven: Elishama and Billiada and Eliphalet. Those last three sons is very interesting because. That's the last three sons that he names. And then what we see is that the Philistines hear that David is anointed king over all Israel, and they come to contest that kingship. And they spread themselves in the ancient valley of Rephaim. So they come to contest his kingship. It's really a type and a foreshadow of, of Armageddon, where the whole world will come to fight against the Lord. Remember, David's three sons are named, the Almighty has heard this, Elishama, and he knows what's taking place. They're now coming to surround David, right? Eliphalet, but he's going to be the God of our deliverance, the mighty God. That's what that name means, and he will carry us away. So check this out. In 1 Chronicles 14.8, the Philistines move to contest David's kingship over all Israel. But, and David begins to go forth uh, as the king to meet them. Brother Jeremy, this is a prophetic type of the second coming of the Lord at the end of the world. And why do we say that? And then again, we're talking about the overview here. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 19, 11. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. <clears throat> Says, and I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Amen. So he sees him uh, as as a king, right? He's the king of kings. That's what's written on his thigh in verse 16, on his vesture and on his thigh the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So he's presented at the end of time here. This is Armageddon. Uh, he's presented as the King, just as David uh, has been recognized as King uh, in, in, in 1 Chronicles 14, talking prophetically now, looking at the overview, the hidden prophecies hidden in these stories. When the Philistines hear uh, that he's anointed King over all, the, all of Israel, they now come to contest that kingship. And that's what we see happening in Revelation 19, 19. Can you read verse 19, brother? Yes. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth 
and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Amen. So that's exactly what we see happening here, is that is that the pattern that unfolds when David goes back to Jerusalem is that the Philistines now hear that he's king over all of Israel, and they come to contest it. This is, this is a prophecy of the end of the world. David goes out to meet them. And what we know ends up happening is, 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 is that he defeats them. God tells him to go fight them, and, and he defeats them. Jesus comes when the Father tells him, and that's what happens. And what happens there is very interesting. After he defeats them in verse 12, it says something in verse 12, because that's what's going to happen when the Lord returns. Verse 12, the first battle. Can you read what verse 12 says, Brother Jeremy? And when they had left, their gods there, David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. Wow. <laughs> so this is it, right? I mean, this is what we actually see happen in the book of Revelation. The king of kings comes, and the armies of the world gather against him to fight against him uh, once he's established as king of kings. Just as David was established as the king of kings, when, uh, when the Philistines hear it, they gather around him. Uh, to, to destroy him, they, they, to contest his kingship, they will meet an utter defeat, which is what the book of Revelation predicts. They would be defeated. And, and David, it's symbolic here that all their idols were burned with fire because that's what's going to happen at the return of the Lord. When he comes to judge and execute the earth, he's going he's gonna to destroy all the idols of this world. And he's going to rule and reign as a king. Now, the Bible tells us something very interesting and, and understand, it, we see that happening in verse 13. Can you read verse 13 of chapter 14, Brother Jeremy? After the burning of the and, idols with fire. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. So it's really interesting. How do we see the prophetic type here? We see David uh, as a type of, of the king of kings, his, his kingship being contested by the Philistines which represent really the beast and the armies of the world coming to contest that. David destroys them, the Philistines, burning all their idols with fire. Jesus will destroy the armies of the beast and, and cast them into the lake of fire, if you will. And, and that's what's going to happen. But then uh, we see in verse 13 that the Philistines yet again will gather. How does this work out? Well, we know from the book of Revelation that the same thing happened. After Jesus returns and, and destroys mm -hmm. the rebellion, right, there's mm -hmm. a space of time that goes by. A thousand years. That's right. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, in Revelation chapter 20? Yes. Let me go there. Yes. Um, what verse? Uh, read us uh, verse, verse one. one. Yeah, one through three. One, two, three. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose 
a little season. So this is what we see being predicted is that <laughs> is that when Jesus returns and deals with the Philistines, so to speak, the beast in the system, burning all the idols of this world with fire, he will rule and reign for a thousand years. And what we're told is that the enemy himself, the devil, will be chained and cast into a bottomless pit for a season. And I think that's what we're seeing here in First Chronicles 14. After he, the, the first battle where he destroys all their idols and burns them with fire, there's an interim period that takes place there. And then it gives way to verse 13 where it says they gather themselves together again. And that's what the book of Revelation is predicting. Look at verse uh Seven. Would you read in Revelation 9, uh, chapter 20, verse 7, Brother Jeremy? And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loose out of his prison. And he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number which is as the sand of the sea. And they will come up on the breadth of the earth, and they will compass the camp of the saints. Uh, about and the beloved city and fire will come down from god out of heaven and destroy them now go back to first chronicles 14 because we see it we see it the same thing happening in in in, uh, in type it's the type in chapter 14 of first chronicles fulfilled in the book of revelation that's what we're seeing here the overview again don't forget what we're saying here Israel was judged and the presence was taken. The ark was carried by a, a type of, of, of the Lord Jesus uh, in King David, a type of our Lord Jesus, carried into the house of a Gentile who lives in a city called <laughs> Gath Ramon, representing uh, wine and, and, and truth, right? The spirit and truth. That's where it comes to rest. Then his kingship, after he leaves it there, he goes back to Jerusalem, just like Jesus would leave and go back to heavenly Jerusalem, and his kingship is recognized by, by the Gentiles. It just as the nations of the world have received the Lord Jesus as the king, and, 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 the, and the Gentiles then build him a house. That's what King Hiram did. He sent messengers, masons, carpenters, cedars to build him a house, just as the Gentiles, if you can see it, have, have built a house for the Lord, representing the church of Jesus Christ, right? We are his house. Then what's interjected there, David begins to reveal the entirety of the gospel to us in, in, in the overview, starting with the desolation of the house uh, the, the, because of the idolatry and rebellion of the house. And then yet there's the prediction that, that uh, it, it's ultimately going to lead uh, to peace and that that peace and the giver of that peace will be chosen by Jehovah and that who Jehovah will choose will become the one that is known as brightness. But he is also called first, he's going to be the God of my salvation, the God of my deliverance. He is the brightness of the Lord. He will be born, sprout, right? That's what that name means. And then he will become a light or the light. That leaves us with three sons uh, at the end, just before this whole battle that we've been looking at is described. The son Elishama, the son Biliada, and Eliphalet. That's what we're talking about, that the types, the prophetic types. The reason those three sons are mentioned just before this Philistine war is because I believe what God was revealing there is for the last day church. If the pattern holds true in what David was actually saying, it's revealing the entire thing. 
to the end. And when those last three sons are named, we're being given information here that God knows what's going on, God hears it, and God is going to come and take us away. That's what his last son means. He's going to come and take us away. He's going to rescue us. And now listen, then we just talked about this battle in the Valley of Rephaim, right, where David burns all their idols with fire. That's the second coming of the Lord to deal with the beast and all the idolatrous of the world. Then there seems to be a thousand-year period that's predicted in the book of Revelation. It seems to be hidden here in the 13th verse of 1 Chronicles 14, where it says, after a while, the Philistines gathered themselves again to battle. That's what we see in Revelation 20, that after uh, King Jesus destroys the rebellion of the world and its idols and Satan is bound, after a season, he's loosed again and he regathers. That's what the Philistines did. They regathered and came against King David again. Only this time, like we see in the book of Revelation, what happens? Read to us verse 14 and 15. We'll see the prophetic type. Therefore David inquired again of God. Of God. And God said unto him, Go not up after them. Turn away from them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be when thou shalt hear a sound of going, hallelujah, in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out to battle, for God is gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. So what we see here then, even though David in the story actually goes out and kind of does a mop-up job, right? It's actually what's being identified here is it's God himself this time that goes to fight and kill all the Philistines. Just like you read right now in Revelation chapter 20, when Satan is led out for a season and they regather to once again contest the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is God himself. Let's read that. Revelation chapter 20. Again. In Revelation 20, it is God himself when they regather to contest Jesus' kingship again at the end of, of a thousand years, that little season that, that, that devours him. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy, in verse 9? And they went up on the breath of the earth and encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Out of heaven. And that's what he was telling David in, in, in Chronicles, right? He says, when you hear the sound uh, at, on the top of the trees, right? So in other words, up. It comes from up. Uh, we see it is God that's going forth this time in this regathering of the Philistines, a type of what we're reading here in the book of Revelation. It's God himself. And when that happens, verse 17 happens in, in David's sense, which is the same thing that's going to happen. Uh, at the end of time, which is what? And the fame of David, right? Yes. And the fame of David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. On all the nations. So after the second battle, when it's God's spirit himself assisting David and destroying his enemies, now David's kingdom is settled, and the whole world knows it. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords forever. See, this is the pattern concealed in First Chronicles 14. This is the pattern and the overview, like Brother Fernando was saying, revealed in the book of Revelation. All of it is right there. And, Brother and, Marty, 
Yes, go ahead. In verse 16, David therefore did as God commanded him, and they smote the host of the Philistine. And I think it's interesting that it's saying from Gibeon even yeah. to Gezer. And I believe Gibeon is still territory of Israel. Of Israel. So it seems like in this battle that he, he um, David and, and his troops, took them all the way outside of the Israelite territory. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Because that's yeah. that's where Gezer is. Gezer is, is at the border of the Philistines. That's and that's good. what he, so he completely, hallelujah, he completely yeah. b- brought him out, you know, yeah. out, out of mm. out of that uh, territory, of the Israelite territory. Praise God. I think that's very symbolic. Yeah, and that's exactly, that's what's going to culminate. At least that's what's being predicted in the book of Revelation too, right? Is that ultimately it'll all be done away with. Like you said, complete destruction will finally come. And But the origin, again, and the pattern that we see being concealed here, but revealed in the book of Revelation, it is that it is God himself that goes before David at the regathering of the Philistine army, right? David comes as a type of Christ and burns all their idols in, uh, in fire. And then a season goes by, and these very uh, enemies of David regather themselves. It is that perfect picture of what the book of Revelation predicts will happen, that Jesus will come. He will He will do away with the false prophet, the Antichrist, the whole beast system, casting it into fire, burning for all intents and purposes the idols of the whole world. But after a season, that, that spirit of the enemy again stirs them up, and they come against the king of kings and the Lord of lords which is prefigured in, in David. Only it's David this time is told, let God from above go before you. That's what happens in the book of Revelation. We just read chapter 20. It is God himself who sends fire down to the ultimate destruction of Satan himself. And then after that, it says in verse 17, First Chronicles 14, the fame of David goes into all lands and the fear of him is upon all nations. It, it is as it, it is predicted that the fear of the Lord uh, and the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea, right? So that's what we see, this incredible prophetic oversight uh, given to us in, in chapter 14. And now, how did you say it, Brother Fernando? After the overview comes the specifics, I guess? <laughs> well, it, it's yeah, it, it, it gives previews, overviews, uh, and... Uh, Reviews, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> and I guess the question. So, so I'm listening to everything you're saying, and I agree with it. I see mm-hmm. that there is a hidden preview of the end in the story in this account of David's life, right? And I think yeah. you're you're making a strong case for that, taking us back and forth from uh, uh, this story of David or the account uh, of David to the book of Revelations. And we mm-hmm. see a hidden preview, a cr- chronological uh, yeah. uh, preview of of the unfolding end time events that we see and read in the book of Revelation. Now, I put myself in the listener's uh, place now and position. And so the question I would pose is, why is God so interested in the end? And why is he hiding or or uh, availing, or, or he's, he's hiding in this account things that pertain to the end, right? Why, why mm-hmm. is God so interested 
and, and what will take place at the end of time, and why does he hide these things in these stories? Or are we just reaching to find things that pertain to the end in this story? The truth of the matter is we're not. It's, 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 right. it's hidden there. <laughs> the, template, the template fits. Right? And again, and we're, fo- we're, we're, we're following principles that the Bible itself gives us, uh, that he declares the end from the beginning. And that all these things happen unto them, and they're and, and they're written for our admonition to whom the ends of the world is, are come. So those are principles yeah. that the Bible gives us on how to study Scripture, right? And and, yeah. and 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 what and what we can find in the stories that they are things that pertain to us who will be living at the end of time, right? So yeah. why why does why is God so interested in that? Why is He hiding? the end in the beginning, right? Because it makes right. sense to me that the template fits. Yeah. I see it, right? Yeah. I think, you know, and that's a good question. You know, I think that uh, what well, we know is it's how he chooses to do it. But I think that, that part of that is, is the joy that he left with his people uh, of discovery, right? Brother Jeremy, could you redo his Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine? That might... That might be mm-hmm. a really cool little scripture to look at that. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Mm-hmm. So the secret things, right? Uh, belong to God, but the things which are revealed, they belong to us and to our children. I think that that's the principle, is that, uh, you know, God dwells in 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 the past, present, and future, for lack of a better way to describe it, simultaneously. It is one of the reasons that when we look in the book of Revelation, for instance, John is caught up into doors within heaven. You know, first he's called up in Revelation chapter 4. He says, I heard the voice like a trumpet saying, come up hither, right? And he says, and, and I saw a door, and he went into it, right? He's in heaven. But then as you go further along in the book of Revelation, he says, and I saw another door open, and he went into there. It, it's speaking of multiple places of reality and truth. But within each subsequent entering in, uh, more is revealed to him as if it's already transpired as if it's already happened. Even when we get to the end of the book of Revelation, everything's done, right? We're we're headed into the eighth day. We're headed into this whole new expression of a new heaven and a new earth, as if it's already happened. And it has. Right, right. Right? And so it, 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 is, it is as if he's concealing these things, one, from the devil. You know, the devil mm-hmm. was... <laughs> Because this is the unfolding plan of God within the material universe. Because remember, what was made that's, was corrupt. You know what? You know what? That's true. Because Ephesians says that the 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 eternal purpose of God is revealed uh, unto the church to make mm. known to powers and principalities. That's right. And so that was we the, are. Uh huh. That was that's the intended purpose. What you're talking about there, it, it's really. Uh, uh, hidden from the devil himself and really uh, the, the angels of God. But yeah. we're the first to know the body of Christ. 
Yes. Uh, the eternal Absolutely. purpose, the un- unfolding purpose of God. And through yes. the preaching of the gospel, uh, hallelujah, I feel that. The mystery of God is revealed. Mm-hmm. Praise God. All may hear. And all of God's creation hears it. Yes. Right? That's good stuff, man. Yeah. Go ahead, Brother Jeremy. I, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence either, too, right, as as we are uh, we're studying the ark of God in this hour. Because, you know, we sing about it. These right. are the days, that, right? We sing about that the, the the Davis Tabernacle is going to be restored, but we don't even know what it means. And, right. and what we we have used historic, what you have used, Brother Marty, is historic background to understand yes. why it was necessary, why these things happened. Because everything that happens in every story and everything that are exa- in samples unto us that tell us about... It, let me put it to you like this. They are... Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, things that we see, there are partial parallels because the real thing is going to happen, right? But everything, is are partial parallels of what is going to happen in the end, right? Yes. It, it's happening, unfolding, and it happened, but it's really revealing something. And then you connect it with, what, what, um, again, I go to the book of Daniel and what he says that God is going to give an understanding not to the wicked, but to the wise, because it yes. shall purify them, make them white, and try. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and I and mm-hmm. and I and I and I think we are correct. These are the things that are being revealed to us in this hour, in this time. This is the appointed time. <laughs> that when Dan, yeah, when, yeah. even Jesus said, "Look back to Daniel." You know, read the book of Daniel. Himself told mm-hmm. us why, because I'm going to unlock truths that you have read all these years and we've never seen it and now it's like it's so real you can feel it you can not just feel it sense it but it bears witness in your spirit man i don't I, you know i've read this many times and now it like it makes sense why exactly. because we are closer mm. than when we first began yeah. that's good that's really good yeah those are all great answers i think that that kind of like at least gives us something to ponder and, 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 uh, you know, for the ones like you're talking about brother Fernando, who haven't really considered things this way or asked that question, you know, those kinds of questions are asked and not understood. That, that, that's why, that's why we say that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Yes. This, this story that we're talking about, the, the, the Ark of the covenant, uh, coming to Jerusalem, and and David David prefiguring uh, uh, Christ and and we spoke about you know the Gentiles helping build the the uh, you know uh, the temple and all those things right all these things speak about the end it is the testimony of Jesus Christ it's the spirit of prophecy these things are talking prophetically to us we're alive today. And where we're at. Yeah. And that's that's what we see when we conclude the fourteenth chapter is the big overview. The preview and the overview and, and of what you're talking about. But remember if we're going there in our thoughts and, and meditations, now uh we come back in, in essence to chapter fifteen. And and it's as if we're now being brought back down to some more insight. What's really happening is the ark is still with Obed-Edom. 
right? right. <laughs> this whole thing, it's still there, right? And so David has to come back and get it. He's left it. Hallelujah. <laughs> but he's going to have to come back, <laughs> right? Glory to God, yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why we <laughs> Thank God for Jesus, man. I mean, for the Holy Spirit and Jesus, man. I mean, it's just amazing. But that's why, uh, you know, we we get so excited about the Scripture because it is a puzzle. It's it's mm-hmm. the it's it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, right? And uh, or how does it say it's the yeah? But it's the honor of kings to search out a matter. I forget how that goes, but you know, yeah. we're we're meant to search. What did he say? If you search for me with all your heart, right, I'll be found of you. It is it is right that he hides these things. Because I tell you what, uh, the casual person does not pursue God to discover his treasures. But those that love him, they do. And, and, and they're not perfect people. You know, God helps us get there, right? And he will finish what he started in all of us. But the but the core of who we are must be those that love him with all our heart, and he will lead us toward himself. It's God that's calling. Isn't that what uh, the Apostle Paul said when he said, you know what, I've reached the point in my life where I forget everything that's behind me. And he says, I'm reaching towards something. And it's it's called the prize of what? The high calling. It is God, right, that's that's penetrating into the very psyche, the soul uh, of my life, of your life, those that are listening. It is that almost indescribable voice, the the voice that you can't hear, but you hear it loud and clear, right? I mean, it, it, it's penetrating the soul, and he begins to pull you toward, your, toward himself. That's what we see in the scriptures that you guys were talking about. That's what, that's what's being revealed here. And so he has gone away and we've just been on this amazing journey in chapter 14, but now we're being brought back down to something. He's still got to come back. And so the next thing that's revealed, he's, he's still got to go get that ark, right? But, but there's something really cool that, that, that now is said in chapter 15, <clears throat> which is what brother Jeff? Verse one. And Dave, and David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. All right. So what we see here is the next revelation, the next unfolding uh, of the pattern of what the Lord Jesus Christ himself would do. Would you read to us, Brother Jeremy, uh, in what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3? John 14. Let us, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not, so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. You see, this is what David did. He left the ark and he went away. He goes up to heaven, uh, to Jerusalem. Jesus goes up to the heavenly Jerusalem. 
he tells his disciples, the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to prepare a place for you. First Chronicles reveals uh, 15 reveals David made him houses. Jesus says in John chapter 14, in my father's house are many houses, are many mansions, right? I go to prepare a place for you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and he says, why? So that, uh, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I, I'll come back again and receive you to myself and bring you to where I am. That's what he did, right? He, he goes to prepare a place for the ark of God, the presence of God, and to pitch a tent for it, make a home for it. And, and we know now that the church is the habitation of God through the spirit, right? The ark and the presence of God right. is in the church. And he's coming back to bring us to those houses that he made for us and to present his presence in the tent he's pitched for it in our heavenly Jerusalem. That's what he does. And that's what King David did. He left the ark. He goes to heavenly Jerusalem. He builds houses and prepares a place. And then he's going to go back to get that ark and bring Obed-Edom and the whole family with him, right? <laughs> with the ark. That's what That's what Jesus is about to do for us. The verse, but before that, again, the prophetic type unfolds in that at this moment, just before the ark's coming to Jerusalem, he has to do something. His attention turns uh, to Israel. Hmm. Because remember what we started out reading in, in uh, I think it was 46.9 or was it 49.6 of Isaiah, where he said uh you know, this is happening. The light is going to go to the Gentiles, the gospel to the ends of the earth. But it's it's in order to restore Jacob and to 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 gather the the preserved of Israel. So now, yeah. right? So now we see David turn his attention after it's revealed here that he's going to go away to build houses and make a place for the ark. His attention now turns to Israel. Can you read that to us, brother? Uh, in in yeah. two and three. Yes, and the scripture you're referring to was uh, Isaiah 49, 6. 6, okay. 49, 6, yes. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared for it. For so what we see, hallelujah, what we see here, right, is what the Lord is predicting through the, what David did is exactly what the scripture predicts is going to happen. The ark is still with Obed-Edom, but, but God still loves and cares for his people, and he's beginning to put things in order. He's going to put them in order, and he's going to gather them together with us, right, so that all of us will be together. In Jerusalem, in the place that he's prepared for us, all of us. He still loves his people. And so he's got to come and go get the ark now. So what we're going to see, uh, I heard a preacher say, and I agree with him, he goes, for the first time in history, we know we're getting close because for the first time in history, we have Israel and the church existing simultaneously on the planet right now. Right? <laughs> We know we're getting close. He's, he gathered his people already, right? 1948. <laughs> and the gathering of the people precedes David going to get the ark. Ah, oh, do you hear what I'm telling? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah, right? So then, with everything now set, 
King David, he returns uh, to Ovid Edom's house. And this is the type of the second coming in verse 25. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Chapter 15, verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Yes. And so what we see here is a type of really, I, I think, like the, the prophets and the apostles, right? The elders of Israel. And then we see also the captains over thousands. That's the Lord's army, right? It's as if Jesus is coming with with the apostles mm. and the prophets and the host, right? To get <laughs> to get his people, right? <laughs> and to bring them uh, together at the second coming. And and then when when they start bringing when this starts happening, I kind of hear a foreshadow of of the rapture of the church and all that the resurre- first resurrection. When you read verse twenty eight, could you read that, brother? Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting, and with sound of the cornet, and with trumpets, and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. Amen. So we see with 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 shouting and with trumpets, right? I mean, that's how the presence is coming up to to Jerusalem. It's like it's as if the Lord comes and takes His church, and and He says all Israel, and that we come together and we become that that Israel completed both Jew and Gentile. Uh, it's it's rapture language, right? The Lord Himself yeah. shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, right? So 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 you know, we could talk about Michael, right, being that that rejected false church, right? She's jealous. She's part of that old way, that way that was judged. Um, she despises David, and and that's that's the unredeemed. They have no children. So David comes and 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 then he brings the ark. Uh, where? Can you read verse sixteen uh, through one through three? So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent, and David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, and a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. Hallelujah. So now we have Obed-Edom, we have Israel, we have the family of Obed-Edom, so we got Jew and Gentile together. We've become that, we've been grafted into Israel. We're now in Jerusalem uh, with King David, right? Uh, and and we're, we're worshiping the Father, we're worshiping God. And, and then what happens in verse 3? He gives everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of flesh, and a good flagon of wine, which is really representative of the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? That's when we will have that great feast in heaven with him. It's all here, brother. And there's there's a hundred other things we could have pointed out, but we see here the prophecy of Obed-Edom. We see the beauty of what God is revealing uh, to us in these times. Like you said, uh, we believe because we are we're nearing closer and closer to our heavenly David who has gone away to build houses and prepare a place to bring his church into heaven. He's going to regather all of us, man, and we're nearing that time soon. We're headed to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And uh, and I tell you what, brother, I, as each day goes by, I, I, I hunger for that day more and more than we've ever. Amen. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, I think we're there. And and that's the prophecy of obed Edom. Praise God. <laughs> any last any last thoughts, man? Well, if this, wow. this pandemic doesn't tell us that he's coming soon, and I don't know what. <laughs> you know, no kidding. We, the, the, the signs are all around us, and a sign, a sign that he is coming is the fact that we can glean the kind of revelation that we've been gleaning from the stories that we, we've been reading. Yeah. It's a sign to us, and... These are things that are reserved for an end time generation because we are a generation that would understand uh, prophecy at a deeper level because of the times we're living in. And uh, I pray that you, you know, you you really hold on to the Word of God, the precious truths of the Word of God, as Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says, right? Yeah. We 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 need not just hear and then disregard and forget. We have to hold on to what the Lord is speaking to us with all of our hearts, like our lives depended on it. Because this is what will keep the true church of the Lord awake in this hour. Praise God. The only thing that's keeping us awake. You know, brother, uh, yeah. that's awesome, man. And, and you know what you said there made me think about... Uh, where we where we are, how close we are. You mentioned the pandemic, everything that's happening. Uh, I think I sent you an article this morning about <laughs> that the month of October is about to be the the greatest month of celestial displays that that we've had in over 397 years. <laughs> this is you know like one in the in four century event that's about to happen in October. In connection with the uh, with with all the the things that are happening right now and. You know, you mentioned what's happening, and, and, and I believe the Lord has given me something, and I, I wasn't going to share it, but I feel like I'm supposed to. And so I'm going to share this real quick. It's bothered me, and I've really sought the Lord over it a lot, uh, about what this uh, this whole thing about everybody having to wear face masks, you know, even in the face of no pun intended even in the face of the scientific evidence that 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 seems to go contrary to everything they tell us is why we have to wear a face mask everywhere and and uh and i said lord what i mean i don't get it you know because really brothers it, it's 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 a mask it's it's covering our faces and how does that how does that apply to and the reason i say that is because yesterday i went out with my wife to take her to lunch and and uh, we went somewhere to eat lunch which is an event in itself nowadays right and i and and i hardly i hardly leave my house you know i'm mostly here all the time uh and uh, which is fine with me i'm too old to go anywhere anyway but anyway uh so when i went out i get a you know my kids and my wife they go out all over the place you know they're always shopping or doing whatever they got to do but but i'm pretty much here in my house all the time so it was kind of a culture shock for me to go out there and mingle with the people, right? And and I just was blown away by all the people wearing face masks. And I said, Lord, this is 
this is really intense, you know, I'm, and I'm really thinking, why face masks? Why do you, why have you allowed the entirety of the population to have to be covered with masks? And I believe he spoke to me this morning and, and gave me a, a, at least a bit of an understanding. And let's just look at that before we close today. Uh, Brother Jeremy, would you look at uh, Prophet Ezekiel chapter 12? And remember, we've been talking about the prophetic parallels that we have seen. Remember, we started this journey that we came to today, finally getting that ark out of there, of Obed-Edom's house, um, way back with Jeremiah. We were talking about the captivity that came and how that the church hasn't recognized that it's under captivity yet, but it's going to. It's resisting it, fighting it, but it's not going to be able to... Uh, you know, to overthrow it. It is the will and determination of God. And he had he had Ezekiel do something really interesting. If you read in verse uh, 10 through 12, would you, brother? Yes. Ezekiel 12. Say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord God, this burden concerneth the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel that are among them, saying, say, I am your sign, like as I have done, so shall it be done unto them. They shall remove and go into captivity. And the prince that is among them shall bear upon his shoulder in the twilight and shall go forth. They shall dig through the wall to carry out thereby. thereby he shall cover his face that he see not the ground with his eyes. See, this is something that, the, and if you look up that word uh, face, uh, one of one of the meanings of the word face is is mouth, as well. And and one of the things that that God had the prophet Ezekiel do, and what he's basically doing is explaining what he was doing, was that the people were still resisting God. Those that were left, not only the king, but but Israel, him, all of Israel that was left in Jerusalem, and uh, what. They were resisting the judgment that had come to them. And God was pleading with them to repent, but they wouldn't repent. And then God said, okay, the judgment's begun. You need to understand what you're under. And if you will understand that, uh, I will protect you and bless you in the midst of it. But if you resist it, you're going to be uh, dealt with. And they still wouldn't listen. So one of the things that God had Ezekiel do was cover his face. And and take stuff out of his house, you know, and all this stuff, which represented they were going to go from one place to another. He was trying to jar their their understanding of exactly what their condition really was, and it never really dawned on them. And that's why he said in verse eleven, said, "I'm I'm I put a covering over my face to be a sign to you, to like jar you and make you think about something. And what I'm trying to get you to think about," he says is that you're you're going into captivity. You're going to be judged, and you're being judged. That's what he basically said. And, and, and he said that the prince who was ruling them, Zedekiah, if you remember, uh, he didn't get it. And the people that were with him didn't get it. And, and the mask or the face covering was meant to be something to alert them to the fact, to be a sign to them uh, that they themselves... Uh, we're going to be carried away uh, and, and 
and that their eyes were, were actually covered to the fact that, that they couldn't see where they were actually being led. So that's the people as a whole. And I think that the church in the United States has reached its that point. Walking around with masks on their face and they don't really get what God is trying to tell them. Wow. You're wow. you're in you're in trouble. And and then the and then he deals with the prophets. He says the same thing in Micah. Could you turn over to Micah? Brother Jeremy? Yes. And Micah. I think it's I think it's verse 7, Micah chapter 3, verse 7. I think that's where it was. Let me yeah, know. Yeah, it's there. It is. It is. Okay. Did you read that too? Then then shall the seers be ashamed and the div, diviners confounded. Yeah, they shall all cover their lips for there is no answer. Oh, God. <laughs> so the, I was just telling you what the Lord was telling me. So he started out telling me how, this, in general, the people don't understand what's going on. Ezekiel was, was told to put a face covering on, trying to jar them, trying to get them to wake up, trying to get them to, he said, I'm your sign. So this face covering was the sign. And he was trying to say, listen, captivity has come. Judgment is upon you and yet you don't see it. The king doesn't see it, and the people don't see it. And then and then he took me over here to Micah, where he was basically talking about the false prophets and talking about the soothsayers and, the, you know, the diviners, you know, amongst his own people, the, the seers, he called. He said they're going to be ashamed, and he says that, that their lips would be covered and that it was meant to be <laughs> symbolic, really, of the fact that they couldn't speak for God because God wasn't speaking to them. And it reminded me of of what we see in, in the land today, and it really makes me sad because you hear all kinds of things being said. And there's just, you know, I was watching this rally the other day, and, and, and you know, these things, these, these movies they're putting out, propaganda movies, really, and there's such a swelling and a desire now, all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of like in between, you know, cynical and sad. It's like, oh, now you want to be patriotic. Now you want to join yourself to this movement. Now you want, you know, your freedoms. Now you want the right to serve God. You know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we refuse to acknowledge that, that that sin has been coming for generations, for decades, and that we have refused God. And now when this is all broken out upon the land and across the planet, now you're going to like try and wrap yourself in an amalgamation of, of political power and religious elitism and the evangelical movement and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 and at the end of the day, there's no word from the prophets. Their lips are covered. Ezekiel had to put on a face covering. Micah says, and your prophets, their lips will be covered. Because there's no answer from God. And what he's trying to say is we're, we've entered in the last days. And not just the last days, but the end of time. And and we are well into where, what we're into now. This is not going back ever to where it is. While we have been sleeping or while Nero has been fiddling, Rome is burning. But our hope is that we will allow the Holy Spirit to, to open our eyes 
and to reveal to us, just like you were saying, brother, so beautifully, and, and what you pointed out, brother Fernando, before I went to these scriptures, is that if this pandemic doesn't tell us where we are, if this global uh, reset, the, the reshuffling of the deck, the powers that be, if we don't see what's happening, then, then in, in essence it's what Ezekiel had revealed to him. You cover your face because it's the last way I can talk to you, and you still won't see. Jesus is coming. All of us are being temp- tempted, tried, tested, if you will, <laughs> in, in whatever way that, that manifests for you or your loved ones or people you know. It's a scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the threshing floor of Shidon. Will we be as Obed-Edoms? You know, uh, will, we, will the presence of God come to us? Because that's what we need to be asking ourselves, right? God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's what David said. And, and, and we've discussed a lot of things here today, but, but bottom line, like the brothers say, all of it and all we've been trying to do for several months now, with all our might, with all our hearts, seeking God every single day on your behalf and as well as behalf of our families and ourselves, is to tell you uh, that we don't need to be afraid, but we need to recognize our signs. And I think tomorrow uh, it's appropriate now that we can go <laughs> and return uh, back to Asaph and the 74th Psalm. Because everything we've talked about here is everything that, that Asaph witnessed in his journey with King David. And if you remember when King David finally put the ark in place, he gave the scroll of his experiences, one of the most prophetic writings in the history of, of, of the scripture, Psalm 105, Psalm 96, and Psalm 106, was all comprised of the many things we've been talking about, and he handed them to Asaph. And Asaph wrote the 74th Psalm, having been fully developed by the Spirit of God to see things as profoundly as King David sees them, and, and, and as the Holy Spirit is now revealing to us. Asaph said, we see not our signs, and neither is there a prophet among us, and neither is there any among us who knows how long. And that's where we are today. You know, and and, and I think that that one of the, the, the most important things for us to understand and to keep before us, not to be discouraged, not any other things, man, but, but to understand God's working on us, all of us. Let him have his way. And 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 when we're done being worked on, we'll be ready and complete uh, to meet the king. The Lord told in his parable uh, to his apostles, he said, let your lights be burning, a type of the word of God, and your loins gird about, a type of, of the Passover and, and, and getting ready to move quickly. And he said, and be like men that wait for the return of their Lord. The Bible talks about blessed are those who wait daily at the gates, Right? And that stand at the doorpost waiting for the return of their Lord so that they may open immediately when he comes. And then he goes on to say, blessed is that servant whom the Lord shall find so doing when he returns. That is our hope for all of us. Our hope is in our heavenly David. And remember, David went back to Obed-Edom to bring him. And he brought all of Israel and Obed-Edom all together. And they journeyed with shoutings and with trumpets and great praise. And they had a great feast in the city of King David, in the city of Jerusalem. And we're headed there to the city of our great king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our heavenly Jerusalem. Not too many days from now. 
Anyway, <laughs> that's today's podcast. <laughs> Praise God. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm speechless. I mean, the signs are clear, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we can't see it. These are our signs. Yes. These are signs for the church. And we know the wicked can't see them, but the church, you know, what are we going to do? But um, what a tremendous study, uh, brothers, uh, today. All the things that were, were put out by the Spirit of God for us to ponder. We pray that you've been blessed, and uh, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow, joining us tomorrow as we study the Word of God together again. Pray the Lord bless you. We pray the Lord keep you. And as always, keep looking up.